And the reading tonight is from John chapter 13, verses 31 through 38. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also will say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I will give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening. Welcome to Grace Downtown. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Grace, and we are continuing in our series through uh, John chapter 13 through 17. We'll talk more about that in just a minute, but we want to thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, So thankful for the beautiful weather once again, um, and no gnats tonight, which is a nice blessing. The plague of gnats is over from last week, Uh, but we are just so glad that you are here. We are going to open up the scriptures and and uh, look at what God has for us through his word here tonight. We're going through this series through John 13 through 17. And in this series that we've entitled Greater Things, we're talking about how Jesus tells his disciples that because of what Christ is going to accomplish for them on the cross, and because the Spirit is going to come, that they will experience greater things than what they have seen in the the ministry of Jesus. That's an amazing thing. It's an amazing promise. And so we want to take a look at what is Jesus telling them when he says their life can experience something greater than what they've experienced being in the very presence of Jesus. We when we think about our lives, no matter where we're at in life, no matter what stage we're at in life, uh, a thought in the back of our mind is often, how can my life be greater? Or maybe, can my life be greater? Or maybe we expect it to be greater than what we're experiencing. We're actually kind of filled with this low-level dread that maybe we're missing out, the FOMO, the fear of missing out, um, that maybe we're missing out on something that God or life has for us, or maybe we're missing out on something that others are experiencing, but for whatever reason, we are not. Well, we want to know what Jesus calls greater things. We want to know what it looks like to abide in Christ. We want to know what it looks like to have full joy. We want to know what Jesus meant when he said, it's better that I go to be with the Father and send the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. We want to know what that means for our everyday life. That's why we're going through this series together. Would you pray with me and for me as we get started? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken to us. God, thank you that you have a definition for us of a greater life. And God, we want to recognize that uh, the life that you have for us is greater than we can imagine for ourselves. 
And God, we want to experience all that you have for us. God, open up our eyes that we can see wonderful things in your word. God, open up our hearts that we would believe the things that you say. God, give us hands and feet that are ready to obey you as we see you as glorious, as we see you as gracious, as we see you as holy. We thank you for this opportunity we have in these moments together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What kind of people do you like? What kind of people are easy for you to like? There's certain kinds of people that are easier for me to like than others. I like it when people can, on one hand, talk about their top 10 favorite bands or favorite movies just off the top of their head, but then I'm like, how's Jesus working in your life? And then they can just dive right in and talk about what God is doing in their life. I love it when people cannot take themselves too seriously. I like it when people come over to my home and make themselves feel at home right away and just start chipping in and acting like they own the place. I like that. There's certain kinds of people or there's certain personality traits that are easy for me to like. And I'm sure as you think about this as well, you're thinking two things. What kind of people do I like and what kind of person am I? Do, I, do people like me? What kind of people are easy for you to like? That's important for us to think about because we see these little things, these little uh, peculiarities that we all have that make it easier or harder to like someone. Well, when we are thinking about greater things, Jesus is really going to raise the bar for us tonight when he doesn't just say that we are to like our neighbor. We're not to like people that are different than us. But he actually says that we are to love others the way that he first loved us. And in fact, he's going to say loving them even to the point of death. That's what he talks about here tonight in our scripture. See, the bottom line is that we need something more than just liking people or an affinity towards people. And the reason is because loving people sounds great and we know we're supposed to do it, but it's challenging as we're going to talk about tonight. The reasons that it's challenging are that our emotions are so strong. Our emotions don't feel like loving or even liking people based on how we're feeling. Also, our opinions can be so different from one another, even within the church, even within the family of God, even within our biological family. Sometimes those closest to us are the hardest ones for us to get along with because the opinions are so strong and so different. And it seems like people's opinions are either stronger than ever or they're out in the open more than ever. And maybe it's because of actions that have taken place, uh, things, circumstances, relationships that have happened in your life that makes loving people difficult. Maybe it is difficult to love others because of something that someone else has done to you. Or maybe it's the guilt and shame that you feel over how you have treated another person. For all of these reasons, loving others is challenging. Loving others is challenging. So as we look to the scriptures tonight, Jesus is going to show us what love looks like. And before we jump into the scripture that Dan just read, I want to lay out for you where we're headed tonight. Um, One thing that I try to do as I'm preparing to preach is I try to let the scripture that we're looking at determine the structure of my sermon. And tonight is a perfect example of that, where there's a lot going on in this, this 
short uh, scripture, but we're going to kind of go through it as if we're doing a Bible study, and we're going to see that there's three main themes as we go through this short text. And the three themes that we're going to talk about here tonight are glory, love, and betrayal. Glory, love, and betrayal. Those are the three things that we see as we look at this text. Similarly to where you found the lyrics tonight, you can also find an outline that I'm, for the most part, following here. So you can follow along and you can even click on the links to the different scriptures that I will reference here tonight. So John 13, 31 through 38, right before we get to this section, it's important that we know the context. It's important that we know what came right before this. Right before this, Jesus is meeting with his 12 disciples and Jesus knows that in Judas's heart, is betrayal. Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray and give up Jesus to the religious leaders that want to crucify and persecute and put to death Jesus. Jesus knows this. And in fact, if we look at John chapter 13, if we back up a little bit to verse 27, John 13, 27, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, meeting Judas. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. The time had come for Judas to betray Jesus and Jesus knew this was coming and he said, go and do what you have to do. Think about this for a moment. One of Jesus's 12 disciples, one of the 12 men that he had chosen to give his whole life to over the course of three to four years and brought them into his life and gone off to solitary places to pray with them. He had done ministry with them. They had seen him do great miracles. He's now eating with them. And he's having this meal with them before he would go to the cross. These 12 men that he knew the most and one of them would betray him. They had spent so much time protecting Jesus, but now one is going to give Jesus's safety over to those that have been looking to arrest him. One of his very best friends betrays him. Betrayal doesn't feel good, no matter who does it. If anyone betrays you, it does not feel good. I can remember it to this day on the fifth grade playground. One of my sons asked me the other day, dad, have you ever wanted to beat someone up on the playground? And I knew right away, yep, fifth grade, Nick. I knew his name. I could see his face. I knew why I wanted to beat him. And that was in fifth grade. That was a lot of years ago. Okay. That was a lot of years ago. But that The way he treated me, the way he talked to me, the way that he aimed for my head when we were playing dodgeball, the way that he made fun of me for being homeschooled, he was just out to get me. It felt like betrayal every time I would see him. That was in fifth grade. That was a kid that wasn't in my class. That was a kid that I did not continue on in school with that was not my friend, but it felt like betrayal the way that he treated me. Imagine one of those closest to you, one of your closest friends betraying you. For some of us, we don't have to imagine that, right? For some of us, we've experienced something like betrayal or something that we've already named betrayal by those close to us. Maybe it's someone that we have trusted as a friend. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's someone close to you. Maybe it's someone in a work environment that has gone against their word. 
that has hurt you, that has betrayed you. Imagine Jesus, fully man, fully God. And one of the men he had invited in closest to him betrays him. So that's the context in which we are reading these verses. Look with me at verses 31 and 32 of John chapter 13. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Jesus says, Now's the time. When he says at once, he means right now. This is the time. This is the time that I have been describing to you as my disciples, the time when I would be most glorified. The time when everyone would see me as the son of man, when everyone would see me as God, when everyone would see the full display of my glory. And what time is it? It's time for him to go to the cross. This begins the very last hours of the life of Jesus. He's saying now is the time for me to be glorified and that time is the time that he is now going to go to the cross. Judas would betray him. Jesus would be arrested. Jesus would be tried. Jesus would be put to death on a cross like a criminal. He says, this is my time. I will be glorified at once, right now. Judas's betrayal leads to the crucifixion. How can this possibly be Jesus' greatest moment of glory? Jesus has healed. Jesus has prophesied. Jesus has brought the dead to life. Yet he says, this is the moment of my glory. How could this be? This scripture right here uses the term son of man for Jesus. This is a common term speaking of Jesus. In the Old Testament, when it uses the phrase son of man, it is typically speaking of glory, the glory of God. And in the New Testament, when this phrase son of man is used, it refers to Jesus' suffering. Old Testament, son of man refers to glory. In the New Testament, it refers to suffering. The cross in which Jesus is walking towards and would eventually die on is the convergence of both of these understandings from Scripture of the Son of Man. His moment of glory would also be his moment of greatest suffering. More on that in a little bit. Next, he speaks about where he is going, where he is going. Look with me in chapter 13. When we, we're going to skip ahead and we're going to go back to the middle part here. In verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. This is very similar to what Jesus has told the religious Jews of his day. Uh, Turn back with me quickly here to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 33 starting in 32, actually, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about Jesus, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am going, you cannot come. So he speaks to the religious Jews that they cannot follow in Jesus's path, and then here Jesus is saying to the disciples, you cannot follow in my path. What is he referring to? He's referring to two things. He's referring to, first off, his death. 
while they too would die someday, while we will all die someday, Jesus was going to die a very specific death, a death to the glory of God, the the full revelation of his glory on the cross. He was going to suffer in a way and experience a betrayal like they could never imagine. When he took our sins on the cross, He's saying, you can't follow me to that kind of death. He is also saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he will continue to talk about this as we go through the series. He's going to prepare a place for them. He is going to die, but he will rise again and he will go to be with the Father and he will prepare a place for them. Where I am going, you cannot come. He's saying, I am going to experience something that you cannot imagine. When he goes to experience this, when he rises from the dead, when he goes to be with the Father, when he goes to prepare a place for them, they're left with the question, what do we do? What do we do? And that's the command that he gives them. Look with me at 13, verse 33. Little children, yet a little while, while while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now... I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, but while you are here, after I am glorified, after I rise from the dead, after I go to be with the Father, and all will know that this is God, I am giving you something to do. I'm giving you a command to live by. And that new command is love one another. He calls this a new command. Why does he call this a new command? Well, first, this love one another isn't something that's not new to them. It's actually caught up in the Old Testament that they know. It was in the Exodus series that we did uh, throughout the summer where we see in the law God's call to love God and to love others. It's right there in the Ten Commandments. It's right there in the laws. The laws and the commandments existed that they would know how to be right with God and also how to love one another. So Jesus is summarizing the commandments of the Old Testament by saying, love one another. But it's new in a couple of regards. It's new because it is going to look forward It's going to see what God has done for them. And it's going to have a new example for how to love one another. Let's look at the example he gives them. He says, just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. It's a new command because he's saying, just as I've loved you, just as I am about to lay down my life for you, now you know how to love one another. It's not just in the law. It's not just in the commandments. It's in my example of the way I have lived my life, but now how I am going to lay down my very life for you, how I'm going to take your sin upon myself. I am going to lay down my life for you. I am going to give you my righteousness. He is showing us what love looks like. That's the new command. It wasn't just a command to love that was caught up in the laws and the rituals. It was caught up in the very example of Jesus giving his life for us. This command to love. 
It is based on a higher love. It is based on a love that is God's love for his people. Jesus is saying that we should love one another, and that's a commandment he's giving us. But he said, first, you need to know how I have loved you. If you want to know how to love one another, if you want to have the power to love one another, you first need to know how much I and the Father love you. That vertical love that God has for us and we have for him leads to a horizontal love where we know how to love one another here on earth. And then he says that this love that they have for one another, that's how the outside world will look in and say, they are my disciples. There's a lot of things that Jesus could have said here. He could have said the outside world will look at you and know you're my disciples by the way you live moral lives or that you gather together in worship, or that you know the law and the prophets. He could have said a number of things about what people could look and see and know that they are disciples. It could be the words that they do or do not use. It, it could be the way that they live their lives, but he picks one characteristic, and that characteristic is love. So why does he choose love? Why does he choose love? Three things that I want us to focus on here tonight three reasons that Jesus chooses love. First, love is simple. Second, it's profound. And third, it's impossible. It's simple. It's profound. It's impossible. First, it's simple. Anyone is capable of love. Anyone is capable of love. My kids say they love me. Even from a very young age, they will come up and crawl up in my lap and they'll say, I love you, Daddy. They can't necessarily cognitively, logically understand the familial relationship or all that I do for them. In that moment of saying they love me, they are not saying, thank you, Daddy, for providing for me financially. Thank you, Daddy, for starting a college fund for me. Thank you, Daddy, for going grocery shopping for me. No, they're experiencing an emotion of affection. They're, they're feeling love for their family. They're feeling love for their father. Love is simple. A child can understand it. In fact, we can learn a lot about love from children. It's a simple concept. As we think about the kingdom of God, as we look at the Beatitudes, we see that the kingdom of God is so simple to understand. It's so simple to see. It's so simple. It's for the weak in spirit. It's for the weak in heart. It's for the lowly. It's for the humble. So Jesus says, it's simple. Love. Love one another. There could have been so many complex things that Jesus told them, but he simply said, love one another. At the same time, though, it's profound. Love is profound. And in fact, he says, by this, others will know that you are my disciples. It is a profound thing when we love one another. It's a profound thing when a two-year-old can crawl up into their parents' lap and say that they love them. But it is also a profound thing when adults who have nothing in common but Jesus can love one another. It's a profound thing 
for us to come together in our differences, whether it's political or otherwise, when we can come together and truly love one another. It's a profound thing that does not exist in anywhere else in the world because it's not based on emotions. It's not based on the same hobbies. It's not based on the same political leanings. It's not based on the same color of skin. It is based on Jesus. We can have a profound effect on our world by how we love one another. The outside world should look at the church, God's church, and see, look at how they love one another. There is nothing like that in this world. The world comes together based on preferences. The world comes together based on things that are similar. The world comes together because they like being with one another. Christians are held together by love. And primarily, it's based around the love of Christ. So Jesus tells them to love one another and says that this is the new command because it is simple, because it is profound, but it's also impossible. It's simple enough for a child to understand it, but boy, is it hard. Parents, how many of you know you're not supposed to raise your voice at your kids? (laughs) We know we're not supposed to raise our voice at our kids yet we're tempted to do so. How many of us know we're supposed to give blessings with our mouth instead of cursing, and then someone cuts us off or drives too slow when we're already running late? Cognitively, we know we are to give blessings instead of curses with our words. I love when I talk about road rage and people like point to the people next to them. It happens every time. It's great. We know we are to love one another. We know that we are supposed to love in the body of Christ even if we have differences. But it is so, so hard to do so and sometimes feels impossible. You know what seems really impossible? Loving those who have betrayed us. That seems like the most impossible thing. When I was in fifth grade, that kid, Nick, I wanted to get as far from him as I possibly could. I didn't want to show him love. If you've had people close to you, relatives, loved ones, caregivers that were supposed to take care of you, but they didn't, that's a great betrayal and it is hard to think about what would loving them look like. Love is simple, it's profound, it's also impossible. Humans can't do it. The flesh can't do it. Our emotions can't do it. Our intellect can't do it. We need supernatural help and we need supernatural grace in order to love one another. Lastly, let's talk about betrayal. This story that we're reading in John 13, let's remember that it's scripture, but it's also real, a real story, a real narrative of what took place. And there's three characters in this story that I want us to focus on. And there's an application that's deeply personal for us tonight. Three characters. The first one is Judas. Obviously, he betrayed Jesus. 
And out of his guilt and shame, he even chose to take his own life because he couldn't handle the shame of his own betrayal done against Jesus. A second man you have in this story is Peter. Let's look at the words of Peter. Again, what does Peter say? Verse 36 of John 13, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Question mark. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter is experiencing something here that one commentator called the joy and high of having a good meal together. He may have even had a little bit of liquid courage from the wine that was being served there. But also it shows that he had every intention of following Jesus. He said, Jesus, wherever you're going, even if it's to death itself, I will lay down my life for you. He is feeling the affection of love towards Jesus. He is feeling a commitment to Jesus in that moment. Haven't you had these moments? You're at church, you're at camp, you're reading your Bible, you're sharing your faith, you hear something profound on the radio, you're having a moment of worship. Haven't you been there and you're like, I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. 30 minutes later, you're shocked by your own sin and betrayal of Jesus. That's where Peter finds himself because exactly what Jesus says comes true and Peter denies that he knows Jesus as soon as Jesus is arrested. He says, I don't even know the man. Peter turns his back. But here's where Judas's story and Peter's diverge. Judas took his own life in guilt and shame and Peter who also is experiencing the shame. It says when that rooster crows the third time, he runs away in shame. But something different happens for Peter because there's a third person in this story and it's the most important person and that's Jesus. And we see Jesus after he has rose from the grave. He takes Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. Continue what I've started. Continue to make disciples. He restores, he commissions, and he sends Peter, who had also betrayed him. Jesus speaks a word of grace. Jesus speaks a word of courage. Jesus speaks a word of faith to Peter. And he says, I'm still going to use you. Because your betrayal is not bigger than my grace. And your shame is not bigger than the power of my love. Three men in the story. 30 years later, Peter would lay down his life for Jesus. Because he was motivated by his Savior that laid down his life for him. Because Jesus' death was not the end of the story. 
It was actually the greatest moment of his glorification, and it was the beginning of him showing the full power of God on display because three days later, he rose from the grave. Romans 5.18 says that just as sin came through one man, our ancestor Adam, just as sin came through one man, Adam, now righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. From one man, one ancestor, Adam, we received betrayal. We are born into a flesh that is ready and willing to betray our Savior. But in Christ, on the cross, he takes our sin upon himself and he gives us his righteousness. From Adam, we inherited betrayal. From Jesus, we are given righteousness. So it's not about our courage. It's not about the size of our faith. It is not about our ability to love others. It is about the power of Jesus and his love for us. That is what makes our life great. What Jesus has done for us. What Jesus has spoken about us, his spirit coming, his resurrection power coming and living in us. Jesus' death was not the end of the story. Peter's betrayal was not the end of the story. And your lack of love for others is not the end of the story. What speaks loudest in your life? What is the loudest voice that you hear? It is, is it the sound of your own guilt and shame over how you have betrayed others? Is it the sound of your pain because you have been betrayed by others? Or is it the words of Jesus that says, you are my beloved, that says, I died for you, that says, go and love others because I have first loved you. What speaks loudest in your life? Is it your words? Is it the enemy's words? Or is it the words, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus that speaks the loudest word in your life? Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. And I'm not just going to tell you to love one another. I'm going to show you what love looks like. I'm going to give you an example of love. I'm going to give you the power to love. And I am going to give you grace upon grace when you inevitably blow it. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you have saved a sinner like me. In all my sin, and all my betrayal, I'm no better than Nick on the playground. I'm no better than Judas or Peter. Thank you for pouring out your grace and your mercy on my life. Jesus, I pray that each one would hear of your grace and your love and your mercy here tonight. God, for those that feel that they have been betrayed, I pray that they would see your faithfulness, your gentleness, and your kindness and what you have done for them in Christ. God, I pray for those that are dealing with the shame and guilt of betraying others, 
of betraying you, Jesus. I pray that they would hear a word of grace and peace here tonight. Jesus, show us how we may love one another through our differences, through our politics, through our cultural differences. God, show us how we may love one another so that others can look at the love we have for one another. Others can walk by, can drive by here and see they truly love one another. God, we want others to see the love that you have for us as we love one another and as we love a world in desperate need of love and good news. In Jesus' name, amen.